Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. To get started, we wanted to uh, go ahead and Welcome our guest today, uh, Tom Robinson, who I've known for many, many years. You know, I'm looking at those red walls behind you. I remember the parties in your house there. <laughs> so yeah. back in the day, yeah, yeah. We had some good times over there. Yes. Well, I really appreciate you uh, giving me a chance to get on my soapbox. I'll kick it off with a little background. Well, I, I, I'm a graduate of Florida State University, mm-hmm. uh, 1978. And I was actually a real estate major. And at that point, there was actually a big push for diversity and and inclusion in life companies. I I was recruited and hired by Equitable uh, right out of college. And Equitable Life was like the uh, third biggest life company who had Equitable, Prue, and Met, the, the top three. And at that point, you know, there was no CMBS or anything else like that. So the light companies, they they were the gorillas, the, you know, the big boys on owning real estate and uh, lending money on real estate and development. So I started in 1978. I, basically, they had a training program that started you off as uh, an appraiser trainee. So I got my background in valuation. And actually rose to be the assistant chief appraiser for Equitable, overseeing a lot of their new uh, loans and and property acquisitions. Somebody had to sort of sign off on on the values. I uh, actually transferred down to the Boca Raton office, and I guess that was 84. Mm-hmm. And and there I sort of I was the VP of valuation for Florida and the Caribbean, and we sort of had our first foray into, uh, or I had my first foray into retail uh, management, retail valuation, and so forth. We own Dayland Mall, which I think Simon owns now. It's one of their bigger, better malls down in Miami. We own. Uh, Westland. We own several other malls. We actually, back in the uh, late 80s, bought, I guess it was the mid 80s, we bought General Growth, a package of malls from General Growth and helped them become the General Growth REIT. So, you know, heavy indoctrination into acquiring malls, valuing malls, and, and managing some of the malls in addition. Over time, I became not only the acquisition guy, well, not only the appraisal guy, but I was able to get in the tran- on the transaction side. And I started disposition and acquisition work and sold a lot of real estate. So I came back to Atlanta. I live in Atlanta, uh, along with Joel, but you know, different parts. I was VP over disposition and back in 88, actually 89, we sold a little over $2 billion worth of real estate. And um, that was a lot for that time period. Very, yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was kicking <laughs> because the next year, the first crash, uh, one of the crashes hit. And this is, this is when the RTC came into vogue. And we couldn't sell a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, well, we sold 250 million, but we couldn't get into the billions anymore. So we we went into a asset preservation stage. I actually ended up being the guy who uh, took back retail foreclosures and went out and uh, you know took them through the foreclosure process or deed in lieu of whatever, transferred them from the lenders. I mean, from the borrowers to ourselves. And it was one of my first, my initiation into directly dealing with Simon. And Simon walked in, and I, and I got to admit, Simon is a tremendously well-focused organization. They know that, hey, if it's, if it's not going to make any money, we don't want to waste our time on it. 
And so Simon handed us keys on several malls. I worked the disposition inside of Equitable with those malls. And in 1995, I decided to go on my own. And in going on my own, I was a broker. I had become a licensed broker. And the, the deal I cut myself for the exit was to get several properties to, to sell, to broker. Uh-huh. And so my first year of my own, I had uh, five shopping centers and I actually brokered Tower Mall in Portsmouth, Virginia. And the next year I got a shot at Regency Mall in Augusta, Georgia. Uh-huh. And, you know, from there, I, pro- I went on to do about 12 mall deals with Simon. We bought Simon's first mall, uh, which was Eastgate Consumer Mall in Indiana. And basically, Simon really, when malls, you know, malls, they're, they're A malls and then there's everything else. And Simon is good on doing A malls, mm-hmm. you know, class A. Right. These, are, these are the ones that everybody must go to. Mm-hmm. And when a mall falls down, Simon's out, right? They're going A. We, we knew to do what we do best. Mm-hmm. So I, I sort of became one of the go-to acquisition teams uh, for Simon. The brokers would call me, Tom, we got a bad mall. You know, give, give me a price. Let's close this thing. Yeah. And if everybody don't, well, it's not a lot of people here, but you know, most I don't know if it's general knowledge that malls have co-tenancy uh, provisions, mm-hmm. where if the anchors leave, if one anchor leaves or two anchors leave, the other anchors can leave. If the mall occupancy on the small shop space falls below a certain level, then the anchors can leave. So it's like a it's a it's a it's a domino effect. The first domino gets kicked over, and it just goes until all the dominoes are are down. Mm-hmm. And the 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 problem with what's happening lately, or what's been happening now, probably for a decade, is that we've had a lot of uh, contractions in in anchor tenants. Mm-hmm. So you you've lost uh, a lot of Dillard stores. Uh, Montgomery Ward went away. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's consolidation. So Macy's bought Riches and they bought so many other stores. And, you know, the, the malls just started having a harder time getting anchor tenants mm-hmm. in place. It's, it, only a couple guys can actually develop a new mall, right? It's an art to it. But, but the art says that these guys come in on 20-year leases to make the deal financeable. And once those 20 years burn off, you know, it's a different it's a different product. Tom, I'm sorry, I just had a question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You use the Johnny phrase. Yeah, Johnny. Yeah, this is, this is Johnny Stevens. How you doing? Good. Can you hear me there? We can hear you, Johnny. Go ahead. Okay. You use the term, once it becomes a bad mall, can you give me an idea of some metrics that qualify or quantify a bad mall? Sure. A bad mall, there, there are several metrics that we look at. One is we look at the sales per square foot of the inline tenant stores. If the inline tenant stores start, it's their sales fall below, let's say 400 bucks a foot on average, it's, it's starting to become a little trouble. When they fall below 300 bucks a foot, you know, it's uh, it's not really good. And, and once they get under 200, it's just pretty much not profitable for the, the, uh, the mall tenant to remain in place. So we have that matrix, uh, that parameter. And then we have the, the fact that uh, sometimes we have uh, an anchor leaf. And as I said before, depending on the way the, the mall was developed, you could lose one anchor and it would give other anchors the ability to either uh, go on percentage rent or go away. Or there are cure periods in most of the, of the leases. It says, uh, you know, I lose an anchor. So J.C. Penney says, I'm out. They file bankruptcy. And you have to look at all the bankruptcies that, that have happened over time. And when a tenant, when an anchor tenant files bankruptcy, 
they have the ability to basically say, hey, uh, I got a one year. The, the penalty on bankruptcy typically is 10% of the outstanding lease obligation for one year. So, you know, it, it guy's down to eight years on his lease. He says, hey, I can stay here. I can pay the rent and so forth. Or I can, but not at the rate that we're on, or I can, I'll take some sort of a discounted rate and I'll stay. And so we start having impacts to income. So a mall will go from making, having $25 million of net operating income to having $3 million of net operating income in, inside of 24 months. And it'll go from that $3 million of NOI down to losing a million dollars in, you know, in a matter of another 12 months. It's uh, very expensive to run a mall. Their, their air conditioning, uh, electrical bills are usually over a million dollars. The uh, security could be, you know, a million dollars alone. So you have no income, but you still got to light it. You got to air condition it. You got to sweep it, clean it, you got to, you know, keep the parking lot lights on. And most malls, while we bought so many malls, is most malls sit on a lot of land. So we'll buy a mall. It's on 80 acres of land. The, you know, uh, the fact that you've assembled an 80 acre parcel, typically somewhere off of an interstate, says that, you know, the land is worth something. Right. We're going to do something with this place once it's no longer viable retail. Now, Simon is one of the best operators of malls that are that's out there. So Simon can't do it, you know, and they call Tom Robinson. Hey, Tom, when you come in and buy a mall, they pretty much know that, you know, it's not going to operate as a mall long term. So we bought, uh, it depends on where you guys are, I probably bought a mall somewhere near you over the last, you know, 25 years. We bought from you know, New York, uh, Buffalo, uh, Niagara Falls, all the way out west to uh, down to South Florida, you know, out to Texas, Oklahoma, the Carolinas. If Delta flew there and there was a mall there and it was priced right, we took a stab at it. There's a website called deadmalls.com. And and deadmalls.com has... All these used to be a mall. Now they're no longer a mall. And I probably bought 10% of the malls on deadmalls.com. You know, sitting here in my little red room, you know, with, with my cell phone, working through deals. I stopped buying malls actually about eight years ago. And because when we started, uh, everybody thought, well, you can buy a mall, you can flip it. You can make it another use and, and that sort of thing. And we were buying malls and flipping the mall contracts almost immediately. So, you know, we bought malls down in Texas. The You know, the minute I'm back from the plane, I'm calling some guy. Hey, I got this thing in the contract. I control it. You know, it's, and it's cheap. You know, I buy it's 80 acres of land for three million bucks. Right. So I got this mall and I'll sell it to you for $6 million. So it's like a $3 million pop on a three, on a $3 million investment. And, you know, you do enough of those, it adds up to some real money. Right. And, and we, we, you know, we sort of a small, you know, I'm working out of my house, the capital's coming out of guy working out of his house. And, you know, it's not a big organization, you know, there's no vertical, this and horizontal, all that. It's just, him, me, telephone, and, you know, get the wiring instructions and, and buy the thing. And normally we kept the Simon property manager who was at the mall in place on our, on our, on our payroll. You know, malls normally have uh, two or three really, you know, decent people there. You know, I need the guy who knows how to turn the lights on and off. And they need somebody to sit there and, and uh, placate the tenants with all their complaints. And retail tenants are the worst in the world. I mean, those guys are always complaining about something. You know, we, we'd hire a skeleton staff, try to cut expenses as much as we could, and try to run it profitable 
as as long as we we could until we could get it sold off. And, and our bit was we would buy and I always call it the junk car philosophy, right? So I buy them all. I got a JC Penny with some term. I yeah, I'm going to use Penny, but you know back then it was you know JC Penny with a little term was valuable. So. When you put all the pieces together, you were kind of losing money or you were making a half mil or a mil NOI. But when you started looking at what the JCPenney box and land was worth, it may have been worth four million bucks to somebody. So, you know, so I'd strip off the working parts, strip out out parcels. You know, we go in, survey out the, uh, the, 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 the land on the street. Somebody want to come in and develop a, our parcels uh, along the street didn't have a problem with it. And we sold what we could. It's, you know, it says like a junk car. We sell the radio, the tires okay. We'd sell the tires off the thing and we just parcel it off. And some of the malls, uh, we'd hold on the parcel. You know, a couple of years ago, I uh, one of the malls we bought was in Cleveland, Ohio. Amazon. Amazon came in and said, hey, we want to build a big distribution center here. You guys own a couple of these out parcels still. We'll, you know, we want to take you out on the out parcel. Someone else had, had come in and bought the, uh, the shell of the mall. So, you know, I've owned malls. We had Magic Johnson theaters in them. You know, Magic Johnson went away. Every, every anchor that's out there, probably Nordstrom's left me, Dillard's left me, Macy's loves to leave me. And, you know, I would go and, and sometimes I would put pieces back together. So the Macy's store is doing horrible and I'm buying them all little or nothing. Macy's didn't. I don't want this box. What do you give me for my 250,000 square foot Macy's box? And the answer sometimes amazingly was I'll give you half a mil and they'd be happy. And I'd buy a Macy's box for, you know, half a million dollars. We have bought... Uh, one probably one of the best deals was bought this uh, mall in downtown St. Louis, St. Louis Center. And Dillard's, the minute we closed, you know, the Dillard's guy calls me up. Hey, Tom, I hear you bought the mall. You know, I want to leave, right? I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's like, you know, here's my term. Here's what's left. I'll give you three million bucks and I'll leave right now. I'm like, OK, great deal. They left. The building they were in was gorgeous. It was, they were on the bottom three floors. You know, we sold the building for $9 million, took their $3 million, and we'd only paid like $8 million for the whole mall. So once we finished stripping everything else out of it, you know, it was, it was a super home run. But, so, you know, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's really good information. Let, let's talk about that a little bit because, I know that the question is always, what's the future of retail? You hear that in the press all the time. And even in your example, you know, the whole idea of a mall is generally to fill it up with retail, right? And you're talking about people and, you know, they're leaving, you're dispositioning them, you're doing all these different things. So what, what really is that exit strategy? You know, why would a person buy a mall where the tenants are leaving what is the, the repurposing of that mall on the back side of it? Because you're talking about a tremendous amount of square footage. Um, what are some of the things that you're seeing out there that is, uh, you know, taking up this space so that it just doesn't all become cobwebs? And, uh, well, <laughs> you know, it, it's hard. I mean, especially now, I, I mean, you know, we all got this sort of COVID mind thing. Going. You know, malls work on foot traffic, right? And when foot traffic is down, you're, you're toast. Uh-huh. So, you know, there's been some repurposing of anchor boxes for fitness centers, the Dave and Buster entertainment type complexes. You know, we put bowling alleys in malls. You know, we were big Stephen Berry owners. If you remember that concept, they came in and they, they would sell uh, logo T-shirts, uh, college T-shirts and that sort of thing, you know, just to substitute tenant. But, you know, it's hard to substitute a Macy's or Nordstrom's or something like that with, you know, Ma and Pa. I mean, you know, you've seen it where they sort of tried to backfill with a flea market and it doesn't normally work as well. Every now and then you have some examples. We have a Fiesta Mall 
that became a huge uh, Hispanic flea market. And it, you know, it works. But the beauty about real estate is its economics, mm-hmm. right? If it costs me $60 million to build them all, I got to rent my space and I need to, you know, be able to bring somewhere around $6 million a year to the bottom of the, to the bottom line, you know why? Right. Um, you know, to have the kind of return that I really want to have. Mm-hmm. But if I buy them all for $6 million, you know, my return then, I only need $600,000 of, of NOI to get to the same 10% return. So, I mean, there's a lowering of levels where you have the A-Mall, the BIPs classes, the, the Linux squares, uh, the perimeters, and you have the, the demographics around it, you have the foot traffic, you have the disposable income and so forth. And then you have the, uh, the C, D, sometimes, you know, F, L malls that they have to be alternative use. You have some places where the cities are stepping up and tearing down parks, making parks. Again, we have a big, uh, uh, we've had like three or four, three malls here in Atlanta sort of go industrial, mm-hmm. you know, tear down most of the mall, uh, Shannon, Shannon Mall down in Union City, a uh, prime example of that. We've had Amazon actually come in on a couple, three of them, and it just depends on, you know, where they are. And so I was buying a lot of malls that were built in areas where the demographics transition. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they built it 40 years ago and the neighborhood looked different than it does today. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of a security issue kind of thing. You know, I could immediately walk in, go, I'm not scared to be there. Look at me. The chopper base looks like me. You know, that looked like my cousin. So, you know, I'm not really afraid to walk in there. But, you know, ladies, young ladies, you know, our ladies in general are what drives retail. Right. The ladies don't feel safe being there. You know, it's not going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Adrian had a a question for you. Um, Adrian, I'm going to ask you to unmute. And uh, go ahead and, and ask your question if you don't mind. No, I was just going to piggyback off what he was saying about the co-tenancy clauses. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's been a lot in the news about Simon purchasing or Simon and Brookfield and some other organizations purchasing some of the retail stores like Brooks Brothers, Forever 21, Aeropostale. Uh, there's a deal working now with uh, possibly purchasing JCPenney. And so Simon is not in the retail business per se. They're in the real estate business. And so people are confused about why Simon is purchasing these retail stores. And a lot of it has to do with these co-tenancy clauses and keeping these stores operating in the mall so that you don't get below a certain vacancy percentage. And then, for example, the mall that I operate, we had four anchor stores and we lost two of them one of which was Sears and the other was a uh, regional department store called Bergner's. And so recently the uh, Sears parcel was sold to the state of Illinois and they are going to repurpose that box and use it as an office space for uh, state employees. So that's going to bring between 500 and 700 state employees to the property that'll be here on a daily basis that can then turn into customers for the mall stores. So we're trying to do things like that. That's mutually beneficial to the agency or, uh, you know, the, the company that's purchasing the box. And so that both parties can benefit in Atlanta. I know Phipps Plaza is turning what used to be Parisians uh, used to be Belks. That that store went through a few different owners, and they're turning that into a Nobu hotel and restaurant. And part of that is also going to be a fitness center. So uh, Simon is doing a lot of out of the box things now. I had recently posted to the uh, Reap alumni page because we're looking for you know strong local business owners that can come in and fill some of the vacancies in the malls. I happen to take on a property that has a pretty high vacancy rate 
but overall, you know, Simon is doing well, and some of that is being propped up by Simon going in with uh, organizations like Brookfield and purchasing some of these retail stores. Okay, all right, that's insightful. <clears throat> we appreciate that. So that's a good idea. Are you seeing more of that around the country, uh, Tom, where uh, government agencies are stepping in? I know I'm seeing it in, in parts of Atlanta here where they're taking out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you have to. You don't. You don't really want to have. You know, tumbleweed blowing through 80 acres at a at a at a totable corner. I mean, you 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 basically it, it it looks bad when the mall's dying, right? And it sort of brings down the whole retail node. Most usually, you know, malls now are are part of a entire development, sort of like Stonecrest, mm-hmm. right? So Stonecrest Mall comes in, and you bring in a lot of office and other retail and so forth and when the mall goes down it's just sort of a pretty much sucking effect on on the rest of the 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 space around you know it's it's hard to replicate the excitement of a of a fips as i said where you have a lot of ladies with disposable income you know freely spending time in there and shopping and going to the food court and going to the restaurants and that sort of thing and it's a different story when you bring in office or a big bookstore or library or something like that. You, you know, you have uh, people who are coming in and they they may drive their work, get in their car and shop, you know, someplace closer to their home versus where they work. I've not seen the retail sales really skyrocket after most replacement tenants go in there. They're not really advertising sales and that sort of thing that's, that's driving the market. And, you know, one of the things we have to think about, too, with malls is, you know, the impact of Amazon and online shopping and that sort of thing. Right. So you have so many retail dollars that are going to be spent. That's, you know, it's not an infinite number. Sure. And if a lot spent on online, you're not going to have the foot traffic through there. Us guys going, hey, honey, you know, how many purses you need to buy? You, you know, Amazon showing up every day. Uh, I don't think now you need to go to the mall and, and do more impulse buying. So online having a huge impact. COVID this year has had a tremendously big impact. Yeah. And when you look at the number of bankruptcies in retail and, you know, corporate bankruptcy is a lot different than personal bankruptcy. You know, corporate bankruptcy is is pretty easy for a tenant to sort of declare it, scrape the leases they don't want, keep the ones they want, and they come out the other side smelling like a rose. The uh, the, the 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 guys that are giving them the product, the, the the clothes makers and so forth, go, yeah, we heard you had problems, yeah, but you know, here's a new line of spring outfits. And so they 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 don't really get hammered and not be able to do what they've always done. They look the same, except if you're the owner of the place and your rent just got cut in half or you got a tenth of what you were getting and that, and that sort of thing. So Simon's very smart to keep the co-tenancy provisions from making everything implode. But you can look at Simon's stock and see what COVID has done to it. Right. I mean, you know, the stock price has been knocked in half since, you know, this COVID issue surfaced. And, you know, everybody's really wondering, you know, I got to walk around with a mask on all the time. How much shopping am I going to do? Right. And the answer is a lot less. And even look at like Phipps and Cheesecake Factory. You know, you got to look at all of the things that impact shopping, the current impact. And the future impact and so forth. I know today they're talking about a vaccine and that's going to be, you know, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So we can get back to shopping as usual, you know, shoulder to shoulder, you know, not worrying about what we're touching and that sort of thing. Not do as much online as we've been doing, you know, retail picks back up. But, you know, patterns are patterns. Right. So once you start with somebody doing a lot of online shopping. My wife shops 24-7, right? She wakes up. I guess she had a dream. She needed a new pair of shoes. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, so the the tablet's right there. You just go on Macy's.com and, you know, and and 
and satisfy your shopping need. Yeah. Uh, you know, how much will she now go in and shop at Macy's and what's a, what's her purchase is going to look like? She's impulsing online. So, you know, she's not needing to go to the store and we'll see how that impacts everything. Yeah. But let's talk um, about that a, a little bit more because you know you're right. This this just came out today about this uh, vaccine and, and Kaiser or Pfizer rather might have that worked out. But if we continue this trajectory that we're on going into 2021, uh, it could be twice as bad as what things are this year. You know how do you position yourself as a retail investor? Uh, in a market like that? Or is there anything that you can do because these are uncharted waters? Well, what you're seeing a lot of is that people are are putting more money in the essentials. Mm -hmm. You know, the the, the people that are grocery stores and, you know, the Home Depots, the Lowe's and and the I'm going to have to do this. Good times, bad times, no times. We're going to be there. You see a lot of retail being transacted or the triple net lease deals. You know, with somebody who's who's, you know, what we call bankruptcy remote. Right. So I'm going to go with uh, triple net lows, you know, it's 15 years left on the lease. You know, you see the cap rates on those things, you know, continue to tick down mm-hmm. while you see the cap rates on regular uh, retail continue to tick up. I buy a lot of you know, 150,000, 200,000 square foot community centers, or I used to. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, you know, that I'm doing now, it's like, I I don't know if I want to own a center that has four restaurants in it and all the restaurants have to run at 50% capacity and it's no money in it for them at that rate. So they can't continue to pay the rent that they're paying and it's all going to fall back on the landlord mm-hmm. and and the lenders. So you know, the real question is, how much are lenders going to be, you know, stuck with loans in default? And you probably read the TREP reports and you see, you know, how many loans are delinquent now in in every sector. I mean, the hotel sector has been totally devastating. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think it's probably one out of four that's actually making its, you know, its debt service coverage. Hotels aren't profitable with 30% occupancy. Right. So you're going to see huge amount of damage on defaults. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we're sort of that, I always call it a sheep or, or cattle mentality. You know, once once you get the herd stampeding, you know, everybody just starts running and it's like, why are we running? You know, well, I don't know what's behind us, but, you know, since everybody's running, you know, I'm, I would be running too. I, I don't want what's going to get the last guy to get me. I don't want to be that guy. So, you know, we're we're looking at what's going to happen in terms of capital coming into the market. You know, United States sort of used to be the no matter what you can put your money in the US of A real estate and life's going to be good. Well, when the US US of A is the worst COVID response and you're losing more people here than most other countries, you end up not being able to pull all that money in from Europe and China and Japan and all those other places like you did before. So if you start seeing capital dry up there you start seeing a lot of lenders say, hey, till I get my defaults back under two, three percent, I can't really go to my investment committee and ask for another couple billion dollars to be put out in real estate. It you know, this has been one of the slowest crashes I've ever seen. Right. I mean, we've had crashes at, at, like when when the CMBS market imploded. Right. One day we were running at you know, at 60 miles an hour. Then we hit a wall. Right. And airbag deployed. We hit and stopped so fast. Mm-hmm. You know, this one's been sort of the let's figure out if it's going to be as bad as some people predict or, you know, whether there's um, some way that it this thing stops and we go back to normal like that mm-hmm. and, and sort of leadership. Well, we'll be back to normal like that. I don't know. Right. I, I it. it 
It depends on how long it takes. Yeah. Yeah. To get to get back in retails, you know, sir, I would I buy a cheesecake factory or standalone chilies or or Bennigan's or any of those type of things at this point? Probably not. Right. I mean, I think you're going to find the default rate on a lot of these out parcels and and, uh, you know, go 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 really through the roof. You're going to find occupancy issues and occupancy issues make for <laughs> income issues. Kind of a wait and see. No, I said so. It sounds like more of a wait and see type situation uh, because it's you know you you wonder what's the executable strategy to benefit from this. Now, some folks like Simon Properties obviously have deep pockets and they'd be able to do some things, but uh, if you can't generate the foot traffic, there's just so much you can do. So, you know, I, I wonder if, if they're sitting on the sideline right now, or are they, you know, uh, vulture buyers or what's going on you know adrian i love if you have any input on that but um we've got about 15 minutes left on the on the podcast today and uh, if any of you guys have any other questions or statements you want to make please feel free to join in as well uh we're happy to um hear from you and get tom robinson's uh, feedback on it who is a expert in the um, mall and, and retail sector so while we're waiting on those questions to come in well, actually oh no is the other i saw you just unmuted yourself something you wanted to add yeah, um, I'm just wondering going forward, big operators such as like Simon and Brookfield, the GGPs of the world, they have been seen more as like a destination. Do you see those operators trying to mitigate their risk and I guess move the way of like, say, like a Jamestown and more of like an experiential concept, kind of like Croc, uh, Croc Street Market or in a bigger sense, like Pond City Market? Do you see that being the future going forward? If they were to do some sort of retail, are those just kind of one-offs? The the mall concept, you know, started, I guess, back in the '60s when when they they first started deciding that we're going to kill downtown by putting the mall here. It's going to be free free parking and air conditioned park, you know, environment, and and uh, it basically killed a lot of downtown retail because prior to that, downtown retail was great. You know, now you've got a lot of these what I call forum shop type situations where, you know, you have stores sort of facing each other with parking in the middle. And it's really it's an active feel, but it's somewhat cheaper for the landlord because he's not air conditioned everything. The stores are air conditioned themselves. And, it you know, it just becomes a a, a concept that uh, becomes more profitable for owners, less risk for lenders. I think it's the new thing. I mean, it's it's very competitive with most malls. Uh, anchor stores are probably going to start downsizing their 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 stores. They're you know a two hundred fifty thousand square foot four level or you know three level store may not be what we see in the future. And you have to look at format changes, you know, and sort of predict you know, where we're going, the, the, you know, the automobile made the mall right before. And, and the automobile was also killing the mall because I'll drive by a mall to go to a forum shop that has, you know, the restaurants and a couple of stores I want to go in. It, it just has a better feel. So, yeah, I think that you're not going to see the mall developments like you saw in the past that, you know, you're not, you're not going to have an ability to assemble, a million square feet on a speculative basis, go out and raise the money to build that, develop that million square feet all at once, because, you know, that's how malls sort of go. We, we have an opening date, a grand opening, and we got million square feet, you know, with the balloons and everything else. And there's, there's the day and it, and it, and it goes there, you know, 20 year clock starts. So with the forum concept, I, I either, build the shops as I lease the shops. I might, you know, do some spec stuff, but I'm, I'm not under the same gun to open up a million square feet at the same time. That- right. Let me, let me ask about that. Cause that, that brings up a good point. And oh no, thank you for your, your question. If there are any other questions, please feel free to join in. But what about the, the hybrid model that's in between those two, which I would call your Avalon, all right, where you have your multifamily, you have your streets and, and you have that urban feel. Now, obviously, um, Atlantic Station started here in Atlanta with that. 
uh, they did well and kind of tapered off. But it looks like that Avalon model is is people are identifying that as the model to replicate in other cities like Charlotte and other places. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Is that the future of retail, or what do you think? I I think I think it is. I, I think that you're you're not going to see as as many gigantic air conditioned parks, what I used to call them, you know, mall type developments. And uh, everybody loves that concept. You got condos on top, apartments or whatever, and retail on the bottom, and almost a live work sort of feel. You got a lot more people working from home and just loving the fact that you know I work upstairs, I can come down, I hit the bar. And, you know, I can crawl back home at night after you know, lighting it up a little bit. It's getting out in front of trends that separates the guys who, you know, make a lot of money from the guys that, you know, are sort of going down the road behind what was. I, I would hope that there will be, especially in some northern parts of the country, winters are tough. And being inside a mall, you know, beats driving up and then trying to find your car in the snow later on. But for Sunbelt guys, you know, I think the Avalons and so forth are just, they're the way that, they, they're the way that it can be financed if there's money to, or capital to go into projects right now. Yeah, that's a good point. So now, if, if you think about that, uh, and Adrian's on the phone here, I, I'm sure she's not going to give away any trade secrets, but do you see like assignment properties and companies like that moving and morphing kind of into that model where it is more live, work, play with uh, multifamily over retail? Or you think they're going to continue to try to make a run at it with the traditional model of a mall, like we see with uh, Linux and Flips and those models? Simon's smart, right? I mean, Simon's amongst, you know, the, 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 you don't change people's desire. You figure out what their desires are and you give them what they want, right? right? So, I mean, Simon's not going to build malls if everybody says, I like Avalon or I like Pond Center and that sort of thing. I, I, you know, I, I don't think, I, well, I know Simon, right? And as, as I said, I, I bought, over a dozen malls from those guys just because they understand what's working. Let's get rid of what's not. And, you know, the problem with a mall is you would think you could take a can opener and cut the top off. And now we have, you know, a, uh, an Avalon cause you got to, you get to see the sky, but it, it doesn't really work that way. I mean, malls are sort of designed inward unless you can get the cars inside and open it up, it, you know, it, it's just been hard to figure out a, a way to compete with the, the smaller uh, stores that are there. Most small stores are five to 7,000 square feet. But when you go into these little forum shops and so forth, I mean, those stores are closer to three, 3,000, 5,000 or something like that. You might, might have some bigger, restaurants at Chipotle or something, but, you know, the format is strong. Even see the Walmarts of the world that they said at one point, you know, Walmart wanted to build a 250,000 square feet, 300,000 square foot super Walmart. And now you see they're going, well, let's try these urban concepts. We want to come in, we can build a 45,000 square foot urban concept store and we're going to make more money. Yeah. Uh, per square foot and we're going to change how we retail you know the same thing happened with the with the supermarkets right it, at one point grocery stores are twenty five thousand square feet then they went to thirty five thousand then then they went to you know sixty five and then ninety thousand and we brought in the, the and they're kicking their butts you That's know and everything else and, and they're you know taking a lot of that market share with that smaller footprint you know Yes. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think that, you know, the beauty about what we do is there all, there's always change. Right. I tell everybody I've been in 40 years, but what happened 35 years ago, the concept of buying real estate and valuing real estate and so forth, that still stays the same. But the issue of, of it's like a phone. Right. I've always picked up the phone and said hello. When I when I was a kid, the phone had a rotary dial. You know, you put your finger in it. You know, now it's a it's a cell phone. It's not connected to nothing. You can pick it up and say, "Call wife" 
and boom, you know, the, you know, my wife gets on the other end. So it's still a call, but all the parts in between have changed. So uh, it, it's almost somewhat, it, it, you know, the, the call is still recognizable, but the technology and the formats and all this sort of stuff is totally different. And you have to, if, if I had stocked up on rotary phones, I, they don't even work anymore, right? Uh, I mean, you could probably sell them in a museum and, and there may be one downstairs in the basement because I never seem to throw anything out. But, you know, you can't stay with an old concept, right? right? You have to go with, with the new. And, and one of the things I wanted to say, you know, sort of the new concept, too, is now we're on the Internet, right? We got Zoom calls. We got crowdfunding. We, you know, we have better 401k access to cash. And, and, and we have a lot of different sources of money that we didn't have at our disposal, you know, back when I started. You know, right. as I said, the light company was a gorilla. There was no such thing as a CMBS market, right? So now we have, you know, CMBS. It took a hit. It's never gotten back. You know, the question is what will replace what was a CMBS, you know, market? Will, will banks step up and, and fill the void? Will the market ever come back on, on that front? Let me get Adrian in right quick. She had a, a point she wanted to add, and since she's with Simon, I, I certainly want to hear what, what her feedback was on this. Adrian, you still there? I know you dropped off and came back on. I'm here. I lost the connection, so I didn't hear your question, but you were talking about going to the kind of live, work, play yeah, get your take on, um, you know, if we think a assignment of the world, those type of uh, retail organizations are going to start moving toward. And you said Simon is not retail. I certainly understand that they're in real estate. But as a real estate investor, which they are, do you think they'll move to that hybrid model of a uh, Avalon type structure as opposed to the traditional Linux mall type structure? What they have now at Phipps Plaza is somewhat of the live, work, play if if anyone can think of the, uh, there's some new apartment buildings just to the left of Phipps Plaza. So Simon was involved in that development. And like I said, the, the redevelopment of the old Parisian store, they're doing um, a hotel. And it really has to do with the city where the mall is located, whether they can, uh, whether there's buy-in from all partners. So all of the stakeholders, kind of have to buy into that concept. Um, so where I am right now, they don't have any of those kind of live, work, play areas. And I would love to see something like that here. So yeah, that's not out of the question. And I think also um, there's been some talk in the news about Simon partnering with Amazon. I don't have any specific knowledge about that other than what everyone has seen in the news. But yeah, Simon is really looking to diversify and understanding that the company cannot be sustained solely by retail stores anymore. That's just not the way things are working anymore. Yeah, good point. Good point. We certainly appreciate you bringing that out. Well, we're just about out of our time for the day. Uh, I don't see any other hands. So, you know, we certainly appreciate your input. Tom, we'll let you have the the last word. Uh, This has been a very insightful call and I got to be honest, I didn't know you were still as active as you are. So um, you've done a lot over your your years. We would certainly love to have you back and to have you talk more about it. But any final comments for our guests today as it relates to uh, diversity in commercial real estate and, and what opportunities should they look at if they're looking to grow uh, their background in commercial real estate? Well, you know, I, I was really happy to see the, the, the push for diversity once again, you know, after the George Floyd incident. And I think it, it may actually, uh, with Black Lives Matter and with the, the new president-elect and so forth, being able to say Black Lives Matter, <laughs> I, I think we, we have a chance that diversity will take root, you know, real efforts to bring on people, grow people. You know, I guess my last statement would be, you know, if you want to be successful in the business, network, 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 right? You know, get out there, find people who may be more willing to deal with you than someone else. Make friends, keep friends. The greatest asset I've had is the fact that 
that you know I came from a equitable with you know they grew to 80 billion dollars of real estate and people knew me and and they could say yeah you can deal with that guy he you know he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do so you know network do what you say you're gonna do be a person of integrity make friends when you can play as much golf as you can gotta get that in there's a lot of room out there and there are a lot of ways to make money Take guys who hit success, pat them on the back. Don't envy their success. It's part of your success. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be a- uh, yeah, feel free to share my information, Joel. I'm, okay. I, I'm sort of under, the undercover brother. Because you buy bad malls, you don't want everybody to know who you are, you know, and that sort of thing. But I welcome the, the chance to help anyone I can. Yeah, you know, I appreciate that, Tom. You know, that you bring up a good point because I can assure you the majority of folks on the call today probably was like, well, who's Tom Robinson, you know? Right. But then when yeah, you who, who bought all those balls? And I didn't know it was a black guy out right, there doing right. it. Exactly, exactly. Right. Point. So we're, we're glad that you took out a little bit of time to join with us today and, uh, you know, talk to the group. So we certainly appreciate it. Tom, we absolutely got to get back out there on the golf course, you know, and have you whip my tail like you've done before. But I will make that. <laughs> we'll make that happen one day. <laughs> so, but it's been a pleasure, you know. And uh, we certainly appreciate all your wisdom and input. And uh, we look forward to uh, getting with you again. So, uh, Tom, thanks again. Uh, anything else you want to share, or just say goodbye to everybody? Hey guys. <laughs> okay. All right. Nice. Thanks so Take care, everyone. Have a great day. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.